Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing two big-name Canadian receivers signing long-term contract extensions. Kenny Lawler agreeing to terms on a two-year deal with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Demir Thurman departing the Calgary Stampeders for Steeltown. BC booking another famous band for their home opener in 2023. And the CFL unveiling its roster for the National Combine in Edmonton. But first. The Saskatchewan Roughriders have agreed to terms on a contract with quarterback Trevor Harris. Hodge also reported that Jake Winnicky has agreed to terms on a two-year contract with the Riders as well, giving Harris at least one receiver with whom he's already familiar. Do you think Harris and the Riders are an ideal fit, Dunk? I do think it's a fit in a number of ways. First of all, there's a lot of Riders fans out there that have been on the Three Down Nation timeline on Twitter and my timeline, and I'm sure JC and John's as well, that are saying, well, it's great that we got a quarterback, but we need some offensive linemen to protect him. But I think Trevor Harris and the quick release that he has can definitely help. And if Kelly Jeffrey can also aid that with what he's going to do from an offensive scheme perspective, then I think that the Rough Riders will not give up as many sacks as they did in 2022. The other thing, too, is Harris is a pocket guy. So he's either getting rid of the football or he's taking a hit and getting sacked. He can move around a little bit. He actually, I think, is more athletic in terms of running with the ball than people will give him credit for. But it's not something that he wants to do. He likes to get the ball out quickly into his playmaker's hand. So I think that will help. And obviously having a target there like touchdown Jake, who needs to regain that nickname because he had a regression in touchdown catches in 2022 compared to the 2021 season where he really burst onto the scene, that can help Harris get comfortable as well. The major factor here, though, why we have two Alouettes players in this instance leaving Montreal is because of the ownership situation there. And a lot of people have tried to categorize it in a way where it's uncertain and put some maybe not so real names on what's actually going on. But the real issue here is the estate of Sid Spiegel has essentially put the keys on the table. They're not willing to invest any more money in this team. And I think the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, and yes, he has a difficult job because he has to answer to the Board of Governors. And right now, part of that board would be the estate of Sid Spiegel. But he needs to come out and say that the league will take care and fund the Alouettes in this important team-building process like free agency. Danny Machocha, people out there, love him or hate him, has built a team that was very close to going to the Grey Cup and winning the East Final just last season. And now this team is being dismantled because they're not allowed to sign anybody. They're going to have a lot of their top-tier players leave. Yes, they've signed some lower-tier guys, but you lose your franchise quarterback and one of your best receivers in Jake Wieneke, and Juno Lewis doesn't seem like he's going back to Montreal either, along with a handful of other high-end players you're simply not going to be able to compete. Now, I still think there is a way for them to get some talent, and they're going to have to get a quarterback at some point, and it's going to be a spot that could be a starting position for, let's say, a Cody Fajardo because of his relationship with Jason Moss. But the league needs to step in here and do it very, very, very quickly. 
I'm going to stick to the football side of things because, frankly, the off-field stuff is just depressing right now in La Belle Provence. To me, I think that Trevor Harris is a very good fit in Saskatchewan. What this team needs is it needs a veteran player to step up and be the face of that franchise and to lead that franchise. And Trevor Harris has done that in this league for multiple teams. He is not a player who is easily rattled, and he is not a player who has shied away from the spotlight. I'm not saying that he likes to yuck it up for the cameras. What I'm saying is he understands scrutiny. He understands how to deal with it. And that is something that clearly was challenging for Cody Fajardo at times over the last three seasons as the face in Saskatchewan. Trevor Harris is going to be 37 by the time next season gets underway. He's mature. I think that's a fit. The other thing that I looked up the other day, by the way, and I know, yes, as you alluded to, Dunk, Ryder fans are wondering about the O-line. There's not a lot of O-linemen, right, available in free agency right now. They took a swing and a miss on Drew Desjardins, though he's an interior guy, as we talked about last week on the show. They need help at the tackle positions. Joel Figueroa, to me, is the only guy on the market at the tackle position who I see as any type of substantial upgrade over what they currently have. They signed Eric Lofton. You broke that story yesterday, who spent almost all of last season on the PR in Winnipeg. He's already 29. Not sure if he's a solution, but you never know. We'll see if he gets some game action. To me, Trevor Harris can help his offensive line. I went back and looked at the numbers in 2018. The Edmonton, then Eskimos, now Elks, were seventh in the CFL in sacks allowed with Mike Riley. Michael Riley, of course, famous for standing in the pocket for three, four seconds at a time and then heaving the ball as far as he could. That season, Duke Williams was the guy on the receiving end of a lot of those Hail Mary type 40, 50 yard passes in a double and triple coverage. Trevor Harris came in the next season, largely the same offensive line in front of them. And Edmonton was what? Number one in the league in sacks allowed. It wasn't the old line that changed. It was the system that changed and it was the quarterback that changed. And I'm not saying that Harris is a better quarterback than Michael Riley. They have two very distinct styles. You know, Michael Riley is, is arguably a hall of famer, obviously retired now, but the, 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 the point I'm making is that Trevor Harris has done a great job of helping his offensive line in the past. No, he's not very mobile, but he gets rid of the ball super quickly and makes great decisions. So you talked about the new OC dunk there, Kelly Jeffrey. If him and Harris can get on the same page quick, I think that's going to take a lot of pressure off of the most criticized unit, probably in the CFL last season, which was the O-line in Ryderville. It's a dream scenario if you're a fan of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to be able to get Harris and then have him attract top-level talent around him like Jake Winicky, it's ideal. It is absolutely ideal. You could have not had you couldn't have had the cards play out any better for you. But on the flip side, you touched on it, Dunk. This is a nightmare situation in Montreal. And I think people know I wrote an opinion piece this week about the situation in Montreal, how it's deteriorated over the last year or so. Um, people know my thoughts are are pretty strong on on what's gone on there. It needs immediate action, and it needs Randy Ambrosi to step up here. And It's a difficult situation because, obviously, this is a privately owned team. The the Siegel Estate and Gary Stern own it, right? It is their property. The league can step in in some situations to revoke a franchise in the case of bankruptcy and things like that, but it's pretty difficult to to have that go through. But what needs to happen is Ambrosi, instead of going – 
and talking about this situation and saying, I've had conversations with the Siegel estate. They're completely on board. I believe in them. You need to say, look, Alouette's fans, there's an ownership situation here. We are searching for a solution. We are willing to invest the money and take over the team if necessary. You don't have to worry about it folding. You don't have to worry about any of that. At this stage, Randy Ambrosi has not made those definitive statements, right? He's kept it behind closed doors, and we're not really sure what that's pro- that process is looking like right now, but he needs to take action publicly because right now all that's coming out is the disastrous behind-the-scenes stuff with Montreal ownership, and it has a lot of people rightfully concerned. The commissioner has to take a stand sooner rather than later to stop this from deteriorating further in terms of them not being able to field a competitive team, but also from damaging the fan base that has been through a lot over the last few years and has just started to come back and and reinvest in the franchise. You don't want to scare them away. So it needs strong action right now. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have reportedly agreed to terms on a two-year contract with star receiver Kenny Lawler. The 28-year-old left the team this past offseason to become the CFL's highest-paid non-quarterback with the Edmonton Elks on a contract that paid him $305,000 for the full 2022 season. He made 58 receptions for 894 yards and five touchdowns over 12 games before suffering a season-ending shoulder injury. Hodge, how can the three-time West Division champs possibly afford this signing? Well, that was a lot of the reaction that I saw on social media on Tuesday when news broke that Lawler would be heading back to Bomberland following a one-year excursion in the city of, I suppose, what used to be called champions. Haven't been champions there in a while. But that aside, when it comes to this situation, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, yes, they have a lot of high-priced veteran players, a lot of elite players who are making big dollars. I'll break it down really quick, and we have touched on these in some of our reporting previously on the site, but at this point, it's clear that Greg Ellingson will not be back for another year with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He earned approximately $165,000 this past season. I think Rashid Bailey is also unlikely to be back unless he takes a significantly smaller contract to return. He earned about $135,000 this past year, so Between those two receivers alone, you've got a big savings if neither return or if Bailey comes back on a smaller deal. And let's remember, the Bombers are getting Dalton Schoen back by all accounts unless he signs an NFL deal surprisingly here in the last few days that he can. That window for him to sign in the NFL ends on free agency day. That's Valentine's Day, the 14th, next week on Tuesday. So by the time you listen to next week's show, he will no longer be eligible to sign in the NFL. He's back on a rookie deal. Carlton Agadosi, who had a couple of fantastic games before suffering a season-ending injury, is also on a rookie deal. So I think that's how it's balancing out in the receiving court. Yes, Dick Dembski got a raise. Yes, Kenny Lawler is going to be one of the highest-paid non-quarterbacks in the CFL, but he's making less than he did last year with the Edmonton Elks. TSN reported he's making about $265,000 in 2023, and they've got two young receivers to offset it. The other thing I'll highlight is veteran center Michael Couture, former second-round pick out of Simon Fraser, has been with the team for six years. He made about $190,000 this past season. I'm led to believe he will not be back with the team. He's likely to sign with his hometown, BC Lions. He's from Burnaby. 
Simon Fraser, of course, is out there on the West Coast with JC, just a stone's throw from where he's recording his show right now. So I think that that's a great way for the Bombers to save some money because Chris Kolonkowski, who makes about half that money, started most of the games this past year while Couture was out. So when you add in $100,000 of savings on the offensive line, you add in the savings from Bailey and Ellingson in the receiving core, that to me is how Winnipeg is balancing the budget. The only downside, boys, is I do not expect them to be terribly busy when free agency gets underway. I think they've spent a lot of their money. Any further additions they make, in my mind, are going to be smaller role-type players who are going to fit in on the lower end of the salary structure rather than going out and making a bunch of splashy signings. I really like this move for Winnipeg. And as you've laid out perfectly there, Hodge, they have the money to make it happen. They do. And it it comes at the cost of some talented players. Obviously, Greg Ellingson, when he was healthy last season, was a very effective receiver. But to get a guy like Lawler, who's still just entering the prime of his career, in my mind, and can take the top off the defense, can make some fantastic plays. And then you pair him with Dalton Schoen, who was one of the leaders in receiving yards last year in the CFL, just a dynamic player as a rookie, but as you've pointed out before on this podcast, Hodge, you know, is limited in some other ways and and needs a system to fit him because he's primarily a slot guy and operates in that way. Well, if you have Kenny Lawler, now you have a superstar that the defense has to fix it on and you're opening up more avenues for Dalton showing in year two. So defenses can't adjust and stop his production next season because they have to worry about Lawler as well. So a really smart move by Winnipeg's management to do this in my mind. I know some people get leery about the price tag on some of these receivers. In my mind, you pay quarterbacks, you pay defensive ends, you pay um, receivers, and you pay offensive tackles. Those are your four premier positions And this fits right into that mold. If you're paying Lawler that money, if he can be out there for the entire season, he's going to make it worth your while. When Lawler was with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they won back-to-back great cups. The year he was away, the Bombers did not. Now, I'm not saying that's all Kenny Lawler, but he was, I think, a missing ingredient in the Bombers' offense who didn't have a guy even close to his skill set, with all due respect to any receiver that suited up for the Blue Bombers last year. Lawler can just about do it all, and even though that's kind of cliche, he really can. He can take the top off the defense. He can make acrobatic catches, but most importantly, he has that rapport with Zach Caleros. The interesting part, and it was actually Hodge, you pointed this out to me, is that it's all fine, well, and good that Kenny Lawler went and got paid $305,000 from Edmonton, but because he left for a year, he didn't know it at the time, but now on this contract, he can't get any guaranteed money on the final year of that deal. So I think it's a very smart signing for Winnipeg. It gives them a playmaker on offense that every single defensive coordinator will be scheming to stop. It helps out Dalton Schoen, as JC mentioned, and it could put Winnipeg over the top as they try for three great cups in four years. Canadian receivers Curly Gittins Jr. and Nick Dembski signed three-year extensions with Toronto and Winnipeg, respectively, this past week after having excellent seasons in 2022. Gittins had the first 1,000-yard receiving season by a Canuck since Brad Sinopoli in 2018, while Dembski scored a career-high 10 touchdowns. Which target will have more production in 2023? 
I, I think Nick Nick Dembski is going to have another strong season next year for Winnipeg. Obviously, we just talked about some of the shuffling that's happening in that receiving core, but touchdown production is tough to uh, continue with year after year, right? It's unpredictable. It's situation-based. I don't think you're going to see 10 touchdowns for Nick Nick Dembski next season while he might have some good yardage. Hurley Gittens Jr., on the other hand, had a lot of yardage last year as the number one receiver in that Argos offense. And right now, it looks like he's going to be the number one guy again next year. He didn't sign an NFL contract. He's still very young. He's just going to take the next step in his development. And so what I see, regardless of who ends up being the quarterback next season in Toronto, whether it's McLeod Bethel-Thompson or Chad Kelly or someone else, Curly Gittens Jr. is going to be the go-to guy, and he's only going to grow into that role as we move forward in 2023. Based on the amount that Curly Gittens Jr. signed for, it sure looks like the Argos are counting on him to be their number one target. 200,000 in 2022, 210,000, sorry, 200,000 in 2023, 210,000 in 2024, and 215,000 in 2025. That is number one type receiver money, even though Kenny Lawler and Geno Smith and Duke Williams last year raised that number even higher. So I think from a production standpoint, Gittins Jr. will have more catches and yards, perhaps more touchdowns, but that's because he's going to see more targets. What Nick Dembski means to that Blue Bombers offense, though, can't just be calculated based on receiving production. He does so much in terms of what he's able to do as a blocker, also a route runner and help other guys out. He's got a great rapport with Zach Caleros and Caleros actually, I believe, tweeted an emoji of a goat when Dembski re-signed. He's that great of a teammate. He's a hometown guy. So I think spending the money to get Dembski back makes a lot of sense. He gets 180,000 in 2023, 195,000 in 2024, and 215,000 in 2025. So even though and Dembski said this on the record, there was a point there where he kind of thought about perhaps going somewhere else to get the amount of money that he felt he deserved. He ultimately wanted to be in Winnipeg and the two sides come together to get a deal done. Dunk, I think you said Geno Smith in there. I assume you're talking about Geno Lewis, unless you got some oh, yes. hard breaking news about Geno <laughs> Smith coming from the NFL. That would be that'd be a heck of a story to break on the podcast. Geno Geno Smith coming. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just teasing. My pick here is Curly Gittens Jr. With all due respect to Nick Dembski, I think Curly Gittens Jr. needs to spend more time in the slot in Toronto. A lot of his production came last year at field side receiver on a lot of quick hits timing stuff personally i think he's good enough of a route runner good enough when it comes to the contested catches to get more looks inside and make more big plays one thing i will point out boys before we move on is i love that both of these guys signed three year contracts we have but we we've banged on this league a lot over the last few years because part of our job is of course holding it accountable i think we need to sing the league's praises this year we talked about the guaranteed money on deals. Obviously, that is working. More players this offseason are signing long-term deals than any year in recent memory, and CFL fans are the real winners. Of course, teams are the winners. Players are the winners. More security on deals, more continuity, whatever. But the fans are the real winners. Fans in Winnipeg, the elation 
that I'm hearing from Bomber fans that Nick Dembski is signed through 2025 is huge. It eliminates that anxiety, that nervousness about him potentially leaving. And that is the case with a number of players league-wide. Even free agent signings we've reported, right? Javan Santos-Knox, two years. Jake Winicky, two years. Trevor Harris, two years. A lot of these guys are signing long-term deals. That's a win for everybody. Yeah, and the reason why those guys signing in new cities are signing those two-year deals is because you have to be with your team for two years before you sign the contract that can get you guaranteed money. So these guys are trying to set themselves up for guaranteed money in the future on their next deal. And you're seeing it manifest all across the league. You, you hit it right on the head there, Hodge. It's working, and it's great to see for CFL fans. Dunk, you reported that the Hamilton Tiger Cats have agreed to terms with linebacker Jameer Thurman. What brought him to Steeltown? And do you think the Stamps could also lose defensive end, Falaran or Imolade? First of all, for Thurman, he's taken some discount deals in Calgary. And although general manager and head coach Dave Dickinson really wanted him back, they just don't break the bank for guys. They sort of did to get James Vodders back from the NFL, spending about $180,000 on him. And I think when that signing happened and then getting Cam Judge there, the Stamps prioritized those two over Thurman. But Thurman is a very versatile linebacker. He can do a lot of things within the defense and ultimately he finally gets to get a payday for what he's actually worth instead of taking a discount in Calgary. And it's not the same as taking those hometown discounts as it used to be for the Stampeders because you could book them into the West final and you got some of that, not necessarily guaranteed, but I think you know what I mean in terms of the playoff money, you felt like you were going to get at least one playoff check every year there in Calgary to offset taking that hometown discount. Well, Thurman goes to Hamilton. The Tiger Cats are clearly doing all they can to be in the Grey Cup game at Tim Hortons Field in November and ultimately win the thing with Bo Levi Mitchell at quarterback. So I'm sure Mitchell talking to Thurman, who I think can come in and be the leader of that defense in Hamilton, helped get him over there to Steeltown. Yeah, to me, this is something that the Calgary Stampeders should be at least a little bit nervous about. You've got a situation where Jameer Thurman, who's a fantastic middle linebacker, is leaving. Falaran Urimalade, I think, is going to end up with Corey Mace, his old defensive line coach, in Toronto. Toronto has pillaged the Stampeders roster every offseason for the last few years, since including you know Ryan Dinwiddie, the head coach, Corey Mace, the defensive coordinator over there, Pete Costanza, the receivers coach over there, the list goes on. And that's just off the field. On the field, there's a ton of players who just celebrated a great cup victory in double blue who not long ago were wearing the red and white of the Calgary Stampeders. So to me, this is an issue that the Stampeders need to find a way to address. I don't know how you address it. Maybe you have to open up the purse strings a little bit more. But last season, let's remember, they were paying two quarterbacks. This year, they're only paying one. I don't understand how the Stampeders don't seem to have more money to spend to keep these defensive stars around. Because Brent Monson, great defensive coordinator, but you also need the players to get to the passer. You need the players to make the tackles and to cover on the back end. Their secondary is not a veteran-laden group by and large, and they've already lost some key talent. Yes, James Vodders is a great addition, but you know James Vodders, you paid him a lot more than you'd probably have to pay Sean Lemon. And Sean Lemon just won the most outstanding defensive player award for the West Division. So 
I'm not sure about how those dollars are being allocated there. I'm interested to see if these decisions pay off for the Stamps in 2023. You know, I don't want to diminish how talented a player Jameer Thurman is because he, he really is. He's one of the best middle linebackers in the game. But that's a position where production is almost inherent to it, right? Guys in the middle, they make a lot of tackles. They end up making a lot of plays. And what the Stamps did do is they re-signed Silas Stewart, who is 27 years old. He's an up-and-coming guy, 35 defensive tackles last year, and 20 special teams tackles. He's ready to take that next step in his career and slide in there as a starter in the linebacking core and give them a little bit of financial savings there. Now, the Oromolage loss, that'll be much more significant in my mind. But as we've talked about, James Vaughters is going to be an impact player for them on the edge, and they can re-sign some of the other guys. Sean Lemon could still be re-signed. Stephen Banks could still be re-signed. And they also have the option there to potentially go with a Canadian starter in Isaac Agiemi Berglund, who has been impactful, a former first-round pick of theirs. So... While these are losses and certainly extremely talented players, I don't think the Stamps are in a bad position going forward, moving on from both of these guys. Podge, you did a great interview with former QB Jonathan Jennings reflecting on his time in the CFL and detailing why his career came to an end by the age of 27. It was one of the most read articles on the site this week, so tell us all about it. Well, I want people to go and read the article. Obviously, that's where you're going to get the full story. But to me, this was a great opportunity to speak with the player who was once the next best thing in the CFL. And obviously, his career burnt very brightly, but not for long. He was an absolute game wrecker in 2016 and yet was out of the CFL not long after. Jennings was a fantastic interview. That's the number one thing I want to get across here. He made that story very easy to write because I think he's an intelligent guy who's well-spoken and has obviously done a lot of thinking about his career and approaches it in a very real way. The gratitude that he expressed in the interview that translated to the column was very real. Yes, he wishes his career was longer, but he's glad that he had the opportunity to play pro football. The, the interesting thing that I will add, aside from the injury which hampered his career, I asked him about whether or not defensive coaches figured him out, so to speak, during the course of his career. And the two guys he mentioned by name are the two defensive coordinators who I think have been around the CFL for the absolute longest, one of whom is no longer in the league, the other of whom is. Number one was Rich Stubler and his match coverage, and the other was Richie Hall, who is now the defensive coordinator for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I think has been a defensive coordinator in the CFL for at least 30 years, if not longer two guys who are absolute legends so i wanted to throw that in there it didn't make the final cut of the article but go check it out and full props to jennings i was honored to have the opportunity to write the column he made it extremely easy to do so the cross is an incredibly grounded individual and not bitter at all and i think reading that article what struck me hodge is we didn't give nearly enough credit to him for how impactful that shoulder injury was you think of the contrast with him and Travis Lule, both in BC at that time. And so often when we talk about Lule's career and how it fizzled out at the end, we chalk it up to that that shoulder injury and how his arm was just never the same. And, and we give him the benefit of the doubt. And we remember him for what he was. And I don't think we truly do that with Jennings because he was in the league for such a short period of time, even though his injury was very similar and had the same effect. 
We don't remember Jennings for what he was in that flash in the pan season where he was so good and he looked like the quarterback of the future. And instead we judge him for his failings that happened after the injury. I think that's really unfortunate. And and I hope that your article uh, does something to shine some light on that situation and, and have us remember Jonathan Jennings in a different way. Everybody needs to go check it out. It's still on 3downnation.com. The easy way to do that, go to authors, click on Hodge's name, and the Jennings piece will be there. I thought it was great in terms of reflection, and he does not come off as sounding bitter. I think that was my key takeaway is that he was feeling fortunate to at least get that shot to play in pro football, and yeah, could his career have been longer? Certainly, yes, but he's accepted it for what it is and moved on. And I think a lot of quarterbacks that are not in the CFL and even some that are today, one being Cody Fajardo, could learn something from reading that piece. Interestingly, interestingly enough, I'm pretty sure Fajardo is the same age as Jonathan Jennings. So interesting how that comes about. I also think McLeod Bethel Thompson broke into the league at the same age Jonathan Jennings is now, which again is, is wild to think the way those timelines work. Hmm. It's time for Hodges. Heritage moment. On this day in 2008, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders traded Fred Perry to the Edmonton Elks in exchange for quarterback Stephen Giles. Perry was a two-time CFL All-Star who became one of the league's most feared pass rushers after recording 33 sacks over three seasons with the Riders, though he made little impact with Edmonton. Giles spent two seasons as a backup to Darian Durant in Saskatchewan before departing for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as a free agent. Who do you remember more clearly Perry or Giles? I'll say this. I don't remember either particularly clearly, but Stephen Giles has to be the worst player in CFL history to be involved in three major trades. Because let's look at his history here. Stephen Giles Giles gets traded for Fred Perry here. That's one. Then a couple years later when he was with Winnipeg, he's traded to Toronto for two draft picks. One, which was a first first rounder, a third overall draft selection. Then the very next season, he's involved in the Ricky Ray trade, right? This guy only had about 7,000 passing yards in the CFL. Three major trades for, for major players and picks. That's pretty remarkable considering how little he played. You know, I can remember Chris Walby raving about Fred Perry on the old school CBC broadcast that he used to do. And that's what sticks in my mind a lot. Maybe more Big Bluto's commentary because he was so great on the mic and calling games. But he did have a lot of respect for Mr. Perry. Let's get to the three-minute drill, fellas. Running back Don Jackson says he's moving on to the next chapter following a four-year CFL career with Calgary and Hamilton. How will you remember his tenure in Canada? I'm going to remember him ripping it up as a rookie in Cowtown in 2018. Never quite managed to recreate that magic, but he was electric in his first year in the league. Simon Fraser, Canada's only NCAA football team, has been dropped by the Lone Star Conference. What does that mean for the Red Leafs? It means they're scrambling to find a place to play or opponents to play in 2024. I don't expect a return to U Sports. That's not not what's going to happen, at least in the short term. But they may end up playing either an independent schedule with some NAIA competition, D2, D3 opponents, even some big sky uh, teams, or they could drop down to D3 and, and play it out that way. It'll be interesting to see because this program has not had a lot of success since coming to the NCAA. 
The Toronto Argonauts re-signed weak-side linebacker Winton McManus after he made 95 tackles, three sacks, two interceptions, and one forced fumble in 2022. Is that a smart move, Dunk? It really is. Dude is a stud, and if he would have stayed healthy, probably would have won the league award for the most outstanding defensive player. The Argos make a great move to keep him in double blue. Pending free agent offensive tackle Colin Kelly has been suspended for the first two games of the 2023 CFL season after he tested positive for two banned substances. Will that hurt his chances of getting signed? I actually don't think it will because the offensive tackle market is that thin. Plus, you don't got to pay him for the two weeks that he sits out. So I do still think he'll get signed. BC Lions owner Amar Doman told Donnie and Daly that the team has booked an A-list ban for their home opener against the Edmonton Elks on June 17th. Who would you like to see perform? You know what? I'm not the person to ask about music because as Dunk well knows from our time at Touchdown Atlantic, I just want the Great Big Sea reunion tour or some uh, <laughs> Newfoundland folk band to go out there. And I don't think that's going to attract anyone to BC plays. So hopefully it's in better hands with Mr. Doman. Calgary Stampeders head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson said that Sean Lemon deserves a raise after being named the West Division's most outstanding defensive player in 2022. Do you think Lemon will be back in Cowtown? There's a possibility, but I think there could be more money out there for him elsewhere, similar to the way that we discussed for Jameer Thurman and even Florin or Malade. Lemon certainly deserves a raise. He had 14 sacks. He's got 70 sacks in his last seven seasons. And this guy, it doesn't matter how old he is, continues to produce double digits. And I had one CFL talent evaluator tell me the key for Lemon late in his career has been He's been a great teammate to the rest of the group around him, and he's learned how to get his body right coming into training camp. So I think Lemon can play for not just one more year, but I think a handful. The Hamilton Tiger Cats re-signed Matthew Schiltz, while the Ottawa Red Blacks re-signed Nick Arbuckle. Which backup QB do you think will have the better season in 2023? I'm going to go ahead and say Matthew Schultz for this one because offensive coordinator Tommy Condell has done a good job of using the two-quarterback system, and I think Schultz, frankly, looked better than Arbuckle did this past year in 2022. The Riders re-signed two veteran defensive linemen coming off strong seasons, defensive tackle Anthony Lanier and edge rusher Pete Robertson. Which signing do you like more? Me, it's Lanyard. Pete Robertson had a fantastic season, but as we talked about last week, did not record a sack in a game in which Garrett Marino didn't play. He needs that interior present. Anthony Lanyard is that guy. If he can stay healthy, he produces week after week from the inside alignments. A study indicated that the 57th Vanier Cup between the Laval Rouge Or and Saskatchewan Huskies generated a $2.4 million impact for London, Ontario. Does U, the U Sports Championship game deserve more hype? It definitely does. It needs a build-up to it on national TV. CBC has done a great job. I think there could be more to that in the future, and I think that would generate even more hype around the game. But it shows that if you host the Vanier Cup in your city or at your institution slash university, that it can be a moneymaker. 
Craig Dickinson told CKRM Radio in Regina that the team hasn't ruled out bringing back veteran center Dan Clark as you, quote, don't want to move on from someone until you feel like you've got somebody better, close quote. Do you think Clark will be with the Riders in 2023? I, that's a great question. I'm not sure he'll be back. I know Dickinson said that he would be with the Riders no matter what, either in an ambassador role, a coaching role, something like that. To me, I think the starting center for the Riders in 2023 will be Darius Sirocco, who spent this past year with the Ottawa Red Blacks. I know for a fact the two sides are talking about a contract right now. The CFL unveiled its 50-player roster for the 2023 National Combine. Which player are you most excited to watch in the testing and drills in Edmonton? like asking me to pick my favorite son or something that's uh, I'm, I'm excited to see them all i will highlight uh francis bemi jr from southern utah defensive end who had a fantastic ncaa career at the fcs level he'll be the biggest ncaa name there he's one to watch in terms of how he stacks up against the u sports competition i'm excited to see him in person dunk you reported that stephen dunbar jr has agreed to terms with the edmonton elks do you think he can have another 1,000-yard season in 2023? I really do. Kenny Lawler's not going to be there, so there'll be a lot of these footballs flying in the air that will be directed in his direction from Taylor Cornelius, who the Elks have anointed as their franchise quarterback. Now, we'll see if they're able to re-sign Darrell Walker or who else they bring in that receiving core, but they paid Dunbar Jr. $200,000 for the 2023 season. That, to me, is number one type receiver money. Dylan Mitchell is also there, so I think he'll get a pile of targets as well. But we've seen in the past, you can have as many as four guys have 1,000-yard seasons. We saw it done in Ottawa. I'm not saying the Elks are going to be that great through the air, but I certainly think Dunbar could get there again. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders finalized their coaching staff with former CFL quarterback Drew Tate as the receivers coach. Is that a good fit? I think Drew Tate is a proven coach at this point. He's worked at a number of different levels. Overall, I like the coaching staff with the Riders. There is some pressure on that group to perform, however, in 2023. Last one, five Canadians have been invited to the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine. We've got a full article on that on 3 Down Nation. JC, who do you think will be the highest selected Canadian in the 2023 NFL Draft? A difficult question. There's a lot to be sussed out here still, including how they perform in the combine setting. I think it's going to be a two-horse race for who goes first. It's either going to be Sidney Brown, the safety out of Illinois, or Matthew Bergeron, the tackle out of Syracuse. He could be a year one starter in the NFL. And that's it for this edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. Be sure to tune in next week as a bunch of names Get put on new jerseys throughout free agency and make sure you keep it locked to 3downnation.com for all of the latest breaking news. Until next time, see you later. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.